We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting us, we're so glad to have you here today. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, there is a friendship pad. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today, whether you're a regular or whether you're visiting with us. We are blessed this morning in having a pulpit guest, Dr. Salim Monier, uh, who uh, has been here before on a Sunday afternoon. We've interacted with we visited the Bethlehem Bible College in Israel, and um, we are uh, and heard all about that. He is a professor there. He's a graduate of uh, Tel Aviv University, um, has a master's degree in uh, theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, studied New Testament at Pepperdine, and then a PhD at the uh, university in Great Britain, the Oxford School of World Missions. So please join me in prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you that uh, this is your world, that you created everything that there is, and that you have acted to redeem this world and all of human history in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that you've poured out your Holy Spirit upon your church. We thank you that this morning we could meet as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you together. Pray your blessing upon our preacher, upon all of us as we worship you. May you be glorified in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. First of all, we'll uh, read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we want Christ from a human point of view, we now know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, 
we, entre we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word. Um, let me a little bit tell you about myself. I'm, uh, my name is uh, Salim Unayer. I'm Palestinian Christian with Israeli citizenship. Uh, Palestinian Christians are the indigenous people of the land. Uh, that we're coming from a mixed ethnic group from the time of Christ until today. Some of us are coming from Arab background, Jewish background, Greek background, uh, Samaritan, the salad of the Middle East, that the Holy Land, I call it the Highway 5 of civilization. <laughs> so we go back all the way. We're very proud to be in the land where the land of the fathers, the land of the prophets, the land where Jesus was born, the land that he walked on the hill, taught and healed, the land where he's been crucified and also been resurrected. And our presence in the land is a testimony that truly, truly, all what you read in the New Testament have happened. It's a good news. A good news for coming when you look into the Middle East and you look into the situation there, it sounds like bad news. The world, like in the time when Paul was saying, they were in a very terrible situation. My family is very proud to be from the city of Lydda where Peter Hill and Ananias, but more famous for the city of St. George. Some of you are from British background, English background, the one on the horse killing the dragon. And uh, the tomb of St. George in the city of Lida and my uh, family long back have built the church above the tomb. And as a Palestinian Christian family in the city of Lida, in 1948, when the city has been conquered, the people of Lida were driven out by the Israeli army. And been, uh, there was a massacre uh, in the city. It's open wounds between the Jews, the Israeli Jews, and the Palestinians. What's happened in 1948 in Palestine at that time, what the Palestinians, we call it a Nakba, the catastrophe. So my father and his uh, brothers and sisters found refuge in the church, and they were not allowed to go back home, to their home, they became refugees inside of their hometown. So I born the post-traumatic era of that time. And you born into a city that had the scars of war. You born into a city with multi-ethnic groups right now, Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and you see the pain uh, but at the same time, you get exposed to many people from different culture languages. So I speak Hebrew, Arabic, and English. Matter of fact, I studied also Greek at Fuller. I forgot most of it by now. Uh, and uh, so thank be to the new software computers uh, to when you do exegesis. So during my teenager, I was a very angry, bitter person. And... Um, Studying at Jewish high school, being exposed to the experience of the Jews in Europe, the painful experience, and realize that my fellow Jewish friends are accusing the Christian uh, for that pain. And I was in crisis about my identity, who I am, because 
I have, I have grown uh, in a church where the Greek Orthodox priest never taught us to hate anyone from where all that coming from. So you realize that uh, we're living in a world, uh, I'm living in a world, that my fellow Christian brothers and sisters, especially in Europe and America, are trying to amend their relationship with the Jewish people post-Holocaust and Second World War, and as a result, many times they are blind to the fact there are Middle Eastern Christians. There are Palestinian Christians living in the land with the formation of the state. 60% of us became refugees. Then you are confronted with a story that you hear from the teachers that the land was desert and the Jews came and made it uh, uh, prosper. And you, t you raise your hand and you say, tell the teacher, uh, teacher, about Europe, I don't know, but about this land, I know because the Valley of Lida, where the airport, Ben Gurion Airport, uh, is today, a lot of that land used to belong to my family before the Jews came from Europe. We used to be one of the landowners and exporter of the famous Jaffa Orange. So you're confronted not only with your religious identity, also with your ethnic identity. In that context, I was asking many questions and ended up in a Bible study where I've been exposed to the teaching of Jesus. And had that relating to 2 Corinthians. Because the teaching of Jesus is so relevant for us today as was relevant at that time. Because from one side, the Jews of Jerusalem at that time, the Israelite, ancient Israel, they were uh, been under the Roman occupation. The people are looking for liberation. And there is expectation, that the Messianic expectation, that the, the Messiah will come and deliver them from the yoke of the Roman Empire, bring a peace, cleanse the temple, dwell as God in the temple in Jerusalem, and all the nation will be subdued to the Israelite. But from the other side, in Rome, was, uh, most of you know, the story of Julius Caesar and what's happened to him. There was a big battle after, after he's been assassinated, and from that battle came another Caesar, his name Augustus. But he came with also with new ideology. Augustus was saying, I am going to unite the Roman Empire by, through me. I'm going to be son of God. I'm going to tell people what, I'm going to have the peace, the Pax Romana, the peace of the Roman Empire. And who is part of that peace will be privileged. And the one that will rebel, severely be punished by the sword of the Roman Empire. So here in Corinthus, there is a group of people for one side are knowing the narrative of the Jewish people about the Messiah will come and deliver them and bring them peace. From other side, there is another conflicting political religious ideology that coming through the Roman Empire. And he's telling to those people, small group of people of Jews and non-Jews in Corinth about another king, another king that is name of Jesus. The kings that have not came and asked people to serve him, the king that came to serve the world, the king of the world. Jesus is a king of kings, and he established his kingdom by the cross and his resurrection. And that is a conflicting 
ideology for the people who are living there uh, because the privilege of living in Corinth. But at the same time, in Rome at that time, you will hear later about another crazy... After Augustus, there will be some Caesars. That some, some of them will be so crazy that they will take the Christian and torture them to light the city of Rome. If we, if we or you think that we're living in horrible, terrible time, just read the history of Rome. What they were doing to the Christian. In that context, suddenly those words are coming out of nowhere. So let's look what he's saying here about that. So in, in what we, we have here in the teaching of Jesus, there is something, uh, verse 16. God have done something new in the world. The kingdom of God have came through Jesus. And God is doing something in, that have reconciled the world to himself. And into that, there are several things that what God did and what we need to do. And that has relevance for me in the Middle East and for you here and all around the world. And he's saying for us in verse 17 that from now on, uh, that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You look around and say, See, everything has new. What do you really mean by that? What God is doing. And then um, in verse 18, all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. This is what God did. Then the second part of it, he's saying that we have the ministry of reconciliation. We are living in the world. And in the world that we are living today, God is active and working in this world. And as God is working in, in this world, His God is working in this world through us. And He is giving us a ministry of reconciliation. Then the second thing that you read in these verses, not only that He give us a ministry of reconciliation, also, God gave us the message of reconciliation. We have a message to give to this world. The world is tired. The world that we're living today are experiencing political system failure, economic failure. Things are not working out, and you'll see it today in the debate again. It's not working. Things are not working out. The promises that the politician gave us, the promises that Wall Street gave us. For us in the Middle East, the promises that great powers, great leaders promise us that they can wage peace, make peace for us. Look what's happened in Syria. My son spent half a year on the island of Lesbos trying to save children that are coming in the boats from Syria, refugees. Things are not working out in the world. And there are other things that not only that, that we have a ministry and we have a message, but we also ambassadors. I live in Jerusalem, and every time the American ambassador comes to Jerusalem to meet the prime minister, they block half of the city. Every now, everybody knows the ambassador of the U.S. is coming. 
with, uh, with the security, with the big cars, and the streets get closed. He's coming. Everybody knows. But that when the ambassador of the United States of America speaks to the Israeli uh, prime minister, he doesn't speak about, about his opinion. He is representing the policy and the information that he received from the president in order to rely to the prime minister. We are ambassadors. And not only that we are ambassadors, through us, God is doing waging peace. This is the reason why I chose the word waging peace. In the Hebrew Bible, and your, uh, it will tell you, pursue shalom ubakshehu. Peace, you have to chase it. Pursue, you chase peace. You ask for peace. You work for peace. You wage for peace. As some people are waging wars, we need to wage peace in the name of Jesus in this world. And that is really important. Why is that? Because when you take the teaching of Jesus and you want to apply it, it's like I tried to apply it in our situation, immediately I realized that our conflict between the Israeli Jews and Palestinians and many conflicts around the world are being defined more and more as intractable conflict. Conflicts that politicians in the first layer are unable to resolve it. Conflicts that require a grassroots movement. Without grassroots movement, without engagement in empowering everybody to ask and to pursue and to work for peace, peace will not happen in my region. After the Oslo Agreement, some of you know that, one of the reasons of the Oslo Agreement failed because one person went, Israeli Jewish religious person, and assassinated the Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin. It's the act of one person. From other side, if you have one suicide attack by one person, a whole nation from both sides are not able to pursue peace. So, an intractable conflict where there is dynamic of us and them, we're the good, they're the bad. In conflict that increasingly all around the world is like uh, two families living in one house have to share the living room and kitchen uh, together. They don't want to share the bedroom, not only because they are fearful of each other, but more than anything else, they want to keep their distinct identity. Because in an intractable conflict, the first casualty in every conflict is identity. And in order to resolve conflict, we need to have identity transformation. In our conflict, children by age five already knows clearly who is other. And when they grow, they look for the information to confirm their prejudice and racism toward the other people. Not only that we have a conflict of us and them, we're the good and they're the bad, that lead to dehumanization. Because I ask myself the question, how people not far away from my home shot someone? And how, how you can do that? What's the process that lead people to kill people that created in God's image and likeness? What the process happened to us inside of us that allow us to do the most horrible things to others, and that is when we 
see the other as not human being created in God's image and likeness. As we, as we, are, as we are as human beings, we need to restore our identity uh, in the, being created in the image of God through His image that's been incarnated here on earth. But not only that, in many conflicts around the world, we have a major imbalance of power. In my conflict, uh, the imbalance of power between the Israeli and Palestinians is huge. Israel is the fifth strongest uh, army in the world with atomic weapon. The Israeli economy, one of the top 20 in the world. Uh, uh, high tech in Israel is one of the highest one. Israeli can be proud of it. Average Israeli makes $35,000. Average Palestinian, $2,000, are not able to prosper. So when you have this imbalance of power between parties, anytime you bring people together, they are unable to reconcile because the powerful will not let go his position and privileges. And the weak will resort to violence in order to gain it back. So how we can bring people together with this imbalance of power without finding ourselves in, uh, in violence and the violence that we have right now that bring more people, vicious cycle. And this in Second Corinthians is saying to us, you are not the one that's going to solve the problems of the world, but you are going to be my ambassador. You have a message that you have to the world to wage peace for God in the name of Jesus. But how we do that, many times, as you and I know, we preach in the church, but Monday morning, we behave like wolves in our business place. As one Christian businessman told me that. So in order to resolve that, we took the first time in the 90, 15 Israelis that served in the Israeli army, 15 Palestinians that you see some of them, both believers in Jesus in that first group, the Palestinians to see them in the street, demonstrating in the street and throwing stones on the soldiers. Both are very much with a lot of load, loaded with emotion and, and feeling and hate and bitterness and anger. We went to the desert. We call it in the footsteps of our father Abraham. We were staying in a big Bedouin tent as I tell the story again and again. And what we did, we did what we do here in the church. We worship, we uh, we prayed together, we did ice-breaking games in the desert, but it didn't work out. Nighttime come, the Israeli went to sleep on one side, and the Palestinian the other side, and my Jewish colleague, myself, we slept in the middle, and he jokingly said with one eye open. <laughs> he just last month reminded me that he was visiting me. So we brought f***ing camels. And on each camel, we assigned Israeli and Palestinian. And for the next three days, we spent crossing the desert on camels. And to our amazement, something beautiful happened. What we were not able to do in the, in the church or community center, you know, we discovered that uh, reconciliation goes through stages. The first stage, we call it... The, the hallelujah stage, or dipping the hummus together, where we come, and it's like the first date. Some of us remember that. The second stage is when we start shouting, screaming, and letting go, uh, uh, expressing um, what we feel. 
uh, let me explain that to you and it'll take a little bit of time, it's really important. When I was studying at Fuller in 1981, at that time there was quite a bit of racial tension. And the police at that time was stopping every African-American young man on the street. So we had a meeting in the church and the parents of the African black, um, African-American young boys were venting their frustration from the police into the white folks. And what happened, instead of the white folks uh, listening and trying to understand, they become so defensive and they move to Colorado. <laughs> That's lead to withdrawal. It's very difficult when we confront it. So the white folk in the church became a victim of the frustration of uh, the African-American with, with the whole system, with, with the treatment of their children. And many times when we do reconciliation, that's what we end. After we have the first stage and we open up and that's lead to withdrawal that we'll never understand each other. How we can break it? And we found out the desert is a place to do that. But why the desert? Because in the desert, it's common ground for our ancient people. The spirituality, most of the Bible written in the desert. Moses was in the desert. David, Jesus. The desert is a place, it's not my house, your house. The desert is God's lands that you cannot claim. And in that desert, you realize how we are totally dependent on our Creator. So beautiful, I'll say I was driving and looking on the beauty of creation and you cannot help it to praise him and realizing our dependence on him. But also in the desert we realize something in that the world so much we need to remind people again and again that in order to survive and to live in this world we have to work together. In the desert, you learn and you know that very clearly. There is no place for competition because in the desert you have to survive. In order to survive, you have to work together. And if we need to work together, we need to be united. In order to be united, we have to have the same purpose. And the desert, the desert also is a place where the imbalance of power disappears. We cannot play game of powers consciously or even unconsciously. And when you, this imbalance of power disappears, also we realize several things, how we are going on the personal level, then in society level, political level, how are we going to wage peace? Let me give you a few points. The first things you learn in the desert is when you hate someone, it is like drinking a glass of poison anticipating your enemy to die. Since I came here Thursday, I'm turning from time to time your TV. There is a lot of hate. People are not saying, I hate you, but in different words, in different language. They are the Democrat, they are Republican, and, and like in the Middle East, the Jews, Christian, Muslims, there's a lot of hate. And some people, for whatever reason, because of the depravity of humanity, like to hate. 
And we need to come to that turban. We need to realize that. Hate is part of human reality. But hate kills you, destroys you, doesn't affect in any way. Even your enemy doesn't feel it. The second thing in the desert, the quietness of the desert, you know, our desert's so quiet, you don't hear anything. And in the quietness of the desert, as we reflect on the Word of God, the silence of the desert brings up words and action that people did to us. The hurt of those words and action drive us to forgive them. Without forgiveness, we cannot move ahead. For, unforgiveness is like locking ourselves in a jail, holding the key, complaining about that. We are bound to the past, our point of reference in the past. We cannot live the present goodness of God as no hope for the future. I walk, I teach in Bethlehem Bible College and other places, I'm Israeli and Jews and Palestinian. And there's no hope. There's no hope. You meet people without hope, despair. And last night in a meal uh, with a group from St. Andrew, the same, you meet people saying, what's going to happen? Uh, we are lost. There is an, because Israeli Jews, because of the Holocaust experience, they are so bound to that past in Palestine for, with the Nakba. And we, are, we have to release ourselves in forgiveness in order to give hope and future for our children and grandchildren. Forgiveness doesn't mean letting go justice. Forgiveness is naming the unjust act and releasing ourselves from the act of revenge. And forgiveness means that we remember the painful past redemptively. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God told them, remember you were stranger in Egypt. He didn't tell them, remember how bad and awful the Egyptians were. Remember you stranger in Egypt. Not only don't do when you have power what is done to you when you were weak, it's that I am God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is with the weak. With a stranger. You will find him there, not in the palace of Pharaoh. We need to remember that. History moves by the power of God, build the moral, ethical principle of God, not by might and power. The third thing you learn in the desert that you discover who you are in your enemy. Because your enemy knows things about you that you don't want to hear and listen, but more than anything else, our future bound with our enemy. The future of the Jewish people in Israel, Palestine, is bound how they're going to treat the Palestinian. The future of the Palestinian is bound with the Israeli Jews. The future of American people I don't know to which camp you are, and I'm asking your forgiveness if I do the mistake. You're going to live with the Republican, and you're going to live with the Democrat. They're not going to disappear. You're going to live with a Hispanic, or you're going to speak with the Asian, we're going to speak, live with... This is our world. This is the creation and the beauty of it. 
that we can celebrate the creation of all people, learning to learn from each other, and through that, we will be waging peace and empowering people again as the early church in order to bring the changes that brought into the Roman Empire and changed the history of the world. Sadly to say, uh, many times we hear that Christians should keep their Christianity Sunday morning from 8 to 10. That's not Christianity. Christianity is people that is not a religious system. It's a people that following the King Jesus and living his kingdom on earth here and now, awaiting for the time that his full kingdom will be revealed. And that is our hope. And I hope that how we are in small scale, Israeli and Palestinian are waging peace through the King Jesus, trying to live, to, to have the ministry, the message, the word. The word here even in English called the righteousness of God. As a matter of fact, it's not really accurate translation from the Greek and the Hebrew. It is the justice of God. Through us, God speaks prophetically to people in power when they abuse their power. And we need to be the one, salt and light. And I'm seeing that more and more among young people. And I'm so excited because in the terrible times that we have right now in the Middle East, especially with Syria, the biggest humanitarian disaster since Second World War, the despair of people, may that lead us to bring them the message of the good, good hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you. Merciful Lord, we pray for those who have lived in the Holy Land and who have come to know you through faith in the one God, whom we confess as the one triune God, whose love has reached us through the light of the world shining in the face of Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection have reconciled us to you and to one another. Thank you for the new covenant that is for all who believe, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, educated and uneducated, black and white, Democrats and Republicans. We live for that day when people will come from east and west, north and south, and sit at table in the peaceful fellowship of the kingdom of God. Give to us the hope of Abraham, the law of Moses, the heart of David, the justice of Isaiah, the tears of Jeremiah, the willingness of Mary and Joseph, the passion of John the Baptist and disciples like Brother Salim, and others who live within the tensions of the Jordan Valley, of the hills of Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. We praise you for Jerusalem, the city of God, so broken and so filled with abundant promise for all who would worship in its holy places. With Jesus, we weep over a city that still does not know the things that make for peace. Bend the knees of the nations and kings 
presidents and ambassadors who walk its sacred walls and historic blood-stained streets. We pray for security for all who pray at the western wall of Temple Mount, who enter the holy shrines atop Mount Zion where Solomon's temple once stood. May all who love the peace of Jerusalem rejoice in you. We pray for Jews, Muslims, Orthodox, and Roman Catholic believers, for Protestants and for all who are puzzled by the conflict over ancient promises, dreams, longings, desires, and unfulfilled labor. At long last, pour out your Holy Spirit upon all people. Shine the light of your coming into every human heart. Allow us to play our faithful role as one little part of your church in working for the reconciliation of the world. Lord, you have made your church ambassadors of reconciliation. Give us joy as we seek peace together. As we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we pray for all those who suffer the violence of warfare in the larger Middle East. Especially we lift up the city of Aleppo in Syria. We ask you to deliver the suffering people men and women, boys and girls, children, from the terror of bombs falling relentlessly from the sky. Open doors for relief of hunger and fear. Reconcile cruel enemies. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor uh, Jerry. I brought something from Bethlehem. It's from Olivewood. It's a handmade, uh, the embracing, two brothers embracing each other. So if you can help me a little bit. <laughs> matter of fact, my, idea, my wife idea was to do that. It is, uh, it's two brothers embracing each other. The key things about it is the story of Jacob and Esau. Only when Jacob's had the struggle with the angel of the Lord and changed his name from one that was crooked to one Israel, that means straight path with God. When he saw his brother, he said, seeing you is seeing the face of God. Amen. And I thank you for, for, for helping me to see the face of God in all of you. And I would like to... Um, before, before oh. Yeah. We're going to be together at the uh, entrance to the patio, and there's a table out there where you can pick up information about the Ministry of Reconciliation. And if you like, you can purchase a book that Salim has written. We are delighted to have you here, brother Thank in you. Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Give us the blessing, will you? Thank you. Thank you very much. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell but things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love 
and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be with you all.